Well, good evening, everyone. Exciting to be here tonight and to get into God's Word. If you have your Bibles, we are in Joshua chapter 13 this evening. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Joey will get up. <laughs> Anybody need a Bible? We're all good. Joshua chapter 13. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together this evening and to uh, come as your church, Lord, to your word. And know, Lord, that you speak to us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. And you teach us, Lord, all things that pertain to life and godliness, Lord, we can find through your word. And, and we pray, Father, that you'd bless our time together that would gain not just uh, information but application in our lives to change us, draw, closest, draw us closer to you. We thank you for your love, your grace, the, the work that you're doing here in our, in our fellowship, uh, Lord, in, in our lives personally. We pray, Lord, that you're glorified this evening, Lord, as we look to you, Lord, that uh, you'd be lifted up. Thank you for this time, this time of worship we've had. Bless our time together, we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, chapter 13 puts us exactly halfway through the book of Joshua. And really, the 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 probably the, the third section of the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua is divided into three specific sections. And, and, and the theme of the book of Joshua, if you remember, is possessing our possessions. And in chapters 1 through 4, we witness Joshua and his men entering into the land, coming into the promised land. Then chapters 5 through 12, we watch them as they, the chapters specifically designed how they were to conquer the land. And now, now we've entered the land, we've conquered the land, and now from chapters 13 through 24, they need to be possessing the land. So entering the land, conquering the land, possessing the land. Now believe it or not, we're going to look at chapters 13 all the way through chapter 17 this evening. We're going to be here until 3 o'clock in the morning, and so, um, no, we won't. But uh, we're not going to read every verse because here in chapters 13 through 17, the Lord is giving an assessment to Joshua as to what still needs to be done to complete the job, to truly possess the land. And in the next five chapters, there's a whole lot of, of property description going on, property distribution going on. You know, many of you know that, you know, we're in the process of rezoning our new building up there on North National and, and we're going through that rezoning property, uh, uh, rezoning process. And we have a couple more weeks and everything seems to be going well. I'll just keep praying for it. But when we started the, the process, they want that property description. And maybe you've seen this when you bought a property and stuff like that. You know, our property description was uh, commencing at the northeast corner of the south 10 feet of Lot 2, Block 1 of Boulevard Edition of Subdivision in Springfield County, then south 89 degrees, 16 feet, 49 inches west, and it goes on and on and on. I thought, you know, that kind of reminds me of what Joshua here has got recorded in these chapters. So we're not going to read every description of that, uh, every single verse. However, we will stop at specific areas and look at specific principles for us as believers to help possess our possessions. How do we possess our possessions? How do we actually take hold of all that God has for us? By following the, the examples of what we find here in Scripture. Look now at how chapter 13 starts, beginning in verse 1. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, You are old, advanced in years, 
And there remains very much land yet to be possessed. I, you know, I don't know if anybody likes to be told that they're old and advanced in, in years, but the fact of the matter was, Joshua was, was now old and advanced in years. A number of years have passed. I mean, a quick reading of the battles described in chapters 10 through 12 might give us the wrong impression that the conquering of those cities uh, happened in just a few short months, about the time it's taken us to go through them in, in our studies in the book of Joshua. Well, you know, we just read it in you know, a month or so, so that's how long it would be. No, you'd be wrong. Even though some of these great battles happened one right after another, and even though Joshua you know, defeated the combined armies of all the Canaanites, it's been a few years to get to where they're at here in chapter 13. How long did that take? Well, in Joshua 14, verse 7, we're told that Caleb was 40 years old when Moses sent him out to spy out the land. In Joshua 14, verse 10, it says that Caleb was 85 when the war was over and he was about to receive his inheritance. So there's a difference of 45 years, 38 of which was spent in the desert with the people of Israel before the beginning of the conquest. So the wars of the conquest must have taken about seven years for this to happen. So how old was Joshua at this point? We're not exactly sure, but we think that he was older than Caleb. And, and we know that at the end of the book, Joshua was 110 years old. Most commentators believe that uh, Joshua was in, was in his late 80s, early 90s, here in chapter 13. So, when the Lord says you are old and advanced in years, the Lord knows what he's talking about. He's old and advanced in years. All that to say that we know that life flies by so swiftly. James tells us it's just a vapor. He says, what is your life? It's even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. You know, the closer you get up there in age, you know, it, it's beginning to start going, well, if the Lord wills, I can do that. If the Lord wills, I'll be able to do this. Uh, you know, Pastor Dennis, a good friend of mine, he always says this. says, one thing you know for sure, you just never know for sure. That's true. One thing you know for sure, you never know for sure when your last day is going to be. So we need to live each day to bring glory to God. Well, this is the situation with Joshua. The Lord says, Joshua, there's still much to be done. Don't stop now. Then God tells Joshua, the territory still left to, 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 to conquer in the sense of, of you know, there's little bands, groups of, of, of men, not kingdoms, but bands, they're hiding out. So you've got to go and you've got to get rid of these guys and, and we want to deliver, we want to, and then, uh, you know, um, inherit, give, break up the land and give them to the, to the different tribes. Look at verses 2 through 6. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all of that of the Jeshurites, from Sire, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is Canada's Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkenalanites, the Gittites, the Akronites, also the Ivites, from the south, all the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidonians, as far as Aphek, to the border of the Amorites, the land of the Gabalites, and all Lebanon, towards the sunrise from Balgad, Mount Hermon, uh, as far as the entrance of Hamath, all the inhabitants of the mountains from Lebanon, as far as the brook Mishripoth, and all the Sidonians, them I will drive out before the children of Israel, only divided by lot to Israel as an inheritance, as I have commanded you. So he's saying there's this pockets of all these people all around here, but we're going to drive all those out and then divide by lot uh, to Israel as inheritances I've commanded you. Uh, 
I mean, that that really is the Lord's desire here to finish what, you know, they started. To root out these small bands of rebels and allow the tribes of Israel to take, finally take possession of the land that God had for them. Now, spiritually speaking, for us as believers, there's a desire we all have to possess all that God has for us. We, We want that. But so often we're not sure what God has for us. That's why we need to, to, to trust Him and realize that our possessions are found in the providence of God. Let me say that again. Our possessions are found in the providence of God. I think this is important for us to understand because the word providence is a Christian term that simply means under God's care. <coughs> Excuse me. Let me get some water. got four waters underneath here. The word providence, again, means under God's care. And, and it's important for us to understand because if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, if you're, you're seeking His faith, if you're taking the time to pray and read His Word, you're under His care. And He loves you very, very much, and He's going to take care of you. In fact, the word providence comes to us from a Latin word that means provider. So God wants to be our provider as well. So here in verse 6, the Lord is saying, I have provided for you by lot all that you need to possess your possessions. This word lot here is used some 21 times from this chapter on, and it's worth noticing because in Hebrew, the word lot is a word pronounced nafal, and it means to throw down. So this is one big throw down, <laughs> going down. Actually, many Bible scholars believe that they received their inheritance by the throwing down of some stones from an open bag and then taking out these stones that would actually reveal where the property would lie that would, they would then take possession of. But the reality is God, is God is laying it out for them. And it's all under the providence of God. Now here's a question to help us understand the, the providence of God. How big does God want our church to be? I would say He wants it just the size we are. Why, why would you say that? Well, because as we are doing everything we can to share the gospel, invite people to church, put in the word of God first in this church, we can then rest knowing that God's perfect providence comes into play. It comes in, into plan. All into God's plan. Let me put it this way to the single Christian. Does God want you to stay single this evening? Well, if you're single right now, then he wants you single. Does he want you married? Well, within his provision, he can bring you a wife or he can bring you a husband. But the very fact that you don't have a wife or husband yet reveals that God's provision for you is right now is what it is. See, providence means we're under God's care. It also means God is our provider. Now you may say, well, what about my own free will? Sure. In our own disobedience, we can find ourselves moving outside of the blessings and the provision of God and doing our own thing. But usually when we take matters into our own hands, it usually ultimately ends with disaster. God can turn things around, certainly, and all things work together for good to those who love God and know they're called according to His purpose. But wouldn't it just be better to wait on the Lord and trust in His providence? Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. See, many times you delighting yourself in the Lord is the prerequisite for His providence in your life. Taking delight in the Lord means that our hearts will truly find peace and fulfillment and rest in Him. If we truly find that satisfaction and worth in Christ, Scripture says He will give us the longings of our hearts. Now, does that mean, well, if I go to church every Sunday and sing praises every day to the Lord, I'm going to get a new car or a new house? I won't remain single? Well, it depends. The idea behind Psalm 37, verse 4, and others like it, is that when we truly rejoice or delight in the eternal things of God, our desires will begin to parallel His desires, and they'll never go unfulfilled. 
If it's God's desire to bring you a wife or a husband, uh, God will reveal that to you. If it's God's desire to bring you a new car or a new house, then God will reveal that to you. But the most important thing for us is to do what Jesus said in Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seeking the Lord first. Putting Him as first. And I, I have no place to, to complain about what I have or don't have. Because the place where I'm at is the place that God wants me to be at at this moment. And that's where we can find rest. We can find rest. We can find peace. I don't know about tomorrow. I just need to be faithful today and rest in Him and trust in His providence and provision. See, striving and the mentality of striving is that what we attach to the world. The world is always striving. The world is chasing after the the carrot. You know, it's hanging out in front of them. Proverbial carrot. It keeps grasping for something to find satisfaction. But for us as Christians, 2 Peter 3.1, we know that the Lord, through His divine power, has given us all things that pertain to life and to godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue. We've been giving exceedingly great and precious promises that we may be partakers of His divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in this world through lust. Here is my point. As Christians, we already have what, what we might be looking for. And the difference between you possessing it is recognizing that it's yours. Because here, the Lord is saying from verse 7 on to the end of the chapter 13, this is all yours. I provided it all for you. Now go in and just possess it. Look at verse 7. Now therefore, divide this land with, as an inheritance to the nine tribes and half the tribe of Manasseh. With the other half tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. And so we, we begin then with the legal description of all the area that, that, that was given to them. Drop down to verse 32. And we see the summary of all these verses. These are the areas which Moses has distributed as an inheritance in the plains of Moab on the, Levi, on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses had given no inheritance. The Lord God of Israel was their inheritance as he had said to them. Let's go on. Look at verses 1 through 5 of chapter 14. These are the areas with which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eliezer the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the head of Moses, for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them, for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in this land except cities to dwell in, with their common lands for their livestock and their property, as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Now because the Levites were the priests in the tabernacle and were called to serve the Lord in that special capacity, the people from the different tribes were to take care of them, provide for them. That was God's provision through providence for them. The Levites' possessions came through the providence of God. But next what we're going to see is possessions also come through faith. Through faith. Because this next section of Joshua, it describes the land that the nine and a half tribes west of the Jordan would receive by lot. And remember Moses, and this is what we already just read, Moses only gave portions of the land to the two and a half tribes east of the Jordan because he died before they crossed over into the promised land. So the rest of the tribes, they're all waiting to receive their inheritance. First one on the list to get it is Caleb. And I love this story. Look now at, 
at verses 6 through 15 of Joshua 14. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God concerning you and me and Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses sent the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it, as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses swore in that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, verse 10, Behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there, and that the cities were great and fortified. And maybe that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kiriath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. So we read here, we're reminded that Caleb was one of the twelve spies sent into Canaan to spy out the land. And they knew that there were giants in the land. But that didn't stop Caleb and Joshua I mean, they, you know, they came back in faith and said, no man, let's take the land. But the other ten came back in fear. And sadly, the Israelites sided with the fearful ten, spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness until everyone over the age of 20 years old died off. Everyone that is except two spies, Joshua and Caleb. And now Caleb's going, hey, remember what Moses said? Remember what's going on? And he comes to Joshua, and I love this. He says in verse 10, I am this day 85 years old, as yet I am strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me, just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for, for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now therefore give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in the day, for you heard that day how the Anakim, these are the giants, were there, and that the cities were great and fortified, and maybe that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Don't you just love Caleb? I mean, 85 years old, and he still believed in the promise of God. God said, I'll give you this land, and, and, and Caleb never doubted. And now he says, man, I'm ready to take it. Joshua says, you're absolutely right. Go for it, bro. <laughs> it's yours. Verse 14. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb. All that to say, our possessions uh, come through faith. The secret of, of Caleb's life is found in a phrase that's repeated six times in, 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 in Scripture. He wholly, wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. That was his heart from start to finish. His whole heart, wholly following after the Lord. He was an overcomer because he had faith in the Lord. He didn't follow the Lord only when it was convenient. He didn't follow uh, the Lord, you know, obey the commandments only when he felt like it. Caleb didn't believe in the promises of God only when they seemed like there was a chance. He followed the Lord fully, completely, wholeheartedly, and faithfully. And in the end, God rewarded him with what he promised. 
Man, the Lord is going to do the same thing for you and for I as we are faithful to do what God has called us to do. Holy following the Lord. We look for that day uh, where, where we'll hear those words, well done, that good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. I long for that day. Now, come to chapter 15. Look at verse 1. So this was a lot of the tribe of the children of Judah, according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin, southward was the extreme southern boundary. And then you can read all the legal description you want from verse 2 all the way down to verse 12. I would just butcher the names. Then we read in verse 13, back to Caleb again. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave his share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord, to Joshua, namely, Kiriath Arba, which is, he, is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Seshayeh, Ahiman, and Tamai, the children of Anak. Three sons of Anak there. Seshayeh, Ahiman, and Tamai. You know who these guys were? These guys are the giants that were in the land. The big guys that caused an entire generation of Hebrews not to make it into the promised land. Remember, after the spies returned from Canaan to give the report, they said this in Deuteronomy 128. It says this, Where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. We've seen giants there. I mean, so large... Uh, the Israelite spies compared themselves to grasshoppers in their sight. Now, how tall were they? Well, many people think you know, the spies, you know, description of the giants may, be, may have been an exaggeration. You know, they, they, they say, oh, you know, maybe some even say they, they lie about how tall they were. Or, or they say, well, you know, people were a lot shorter back then, and so, you know, you just misrepresented tall people for giants. But as we look at the entirety of Scripture, an over-exaggeration doesn't seem to be the case. Listen to Deuteronomy 2, verse 10 and 11. It says, The Emim had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and as tall as the Anakim. They were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emim. Or Deuteronomy 2, verse 21. says, They were a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. Deuteronomy 9, 2. A people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak. Over and over and over again, we're tall. These guys were tall. These guys were giants. But it isn't until the story of David and Goliath that we actually get a concrete measurement of the giants. Goliath was somewhere around nine feet, nine inches tall. That is huge. And think about this, something to consider. Goliath was the son of one of the surviving Anakim. He had been a fourth generation giant. So who knows how big, you know, these, these sons of Anak were. I know, I've read, I've seen pictures, they're finding bones of, of, of men that are 12, 15 feet tall, huge. Now look again at verse 14 of chapter 15. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Shishai, I am in a time I the children of Anak. So just picture five foot eight, eighty-five years old Caleb chasing down the twelve foot giants. I mean, could you picture the scene? <laughs> How could that happen? Verse twelve of chapter fourteen, remember? 
It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord has said. Drive who out? The giants. Caleb says, I'll take them all on myself because if God be with me, who can be against me? I can go against them. And understand this, the language and the context of this passage, I think we have to assume that Caleb did it himself. I don't think he asked his servants to do this. Because we'll see in the next verses here in chapter 15 that he asked them for help, but not when it came to the giants. I think when it comes to these giants, I think, you know, we would have been told that if he was getting help. You know, listen, giants are only scary if you have a small God. You can be old, an old man like Caleb, or you can be a young kid like David. All it takes to be a giant killer is to have a God that's bigger than the giants. 85 years old, but he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. If God be for us, who can be against us? Well, now Caleb has a proposition. Look at verses 15 through 19. Then he, Caleb, went up from there to the inhabitants of Debir. Formerly the name of Debir was uh, Kiryat Sephir. And Caleb said, He who attacks Kiryat Sephir and takes it, to him I will give Aska, my daughter, as wife. So Othniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? And she answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Now, what is Caleb doing in Debir, or in Kiryat Sephir, as they, they call it now. Well, there's one way to look at it. Could it be, and this, this is a speculation, could it be that Caleb is looking for a husband for his daughter? I, I mean, here in verse 16, Caleb offers his daughter's hand in marriage to whoever conquers Kiryat Sephir. I, I mean, I don't doubt for a moment that Caleb could have easily conquered it himself. We, we, we saw that already. But as he's getting old, I think he, he's looking out for his daughter. You know, I think he's wanting to find someone for his daughter who is strong in the Lord and in his might and would go and conquer in the name of the Lord. Isn't that what, what any father wants for his daughter, that, that to find someone who loves the Lord and, and has put their faith and trust in the Lord? Because the dad knows if the Lord is number one in the young man's life, then his daughter will be number two. <laughs> and he knows that, that, that how to love his wife as Christ of the church. You can ask for anything better. But I think uh, uh, Caleb was also, he's, he's, he's discipling, he's bringing up other men to come in and, and, and step up to the plate. Well, verse 17, Othiniel steps up to the plate. Well, who is Othiniel? This is uh, this husband of Caleb's daughter, Aska. I'm glad you asked her, you know. Othiniel will actually become one of the judges of Israel. Judges chapter 3. After the children of Israel was being judged for their idolatry, they cried out to the Lord. Which they always did. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd turn from God, get an idolatry, and then cry out to the Lord. But it says in Judges chapter 3, verse 9, When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up and delivered for the children of Israel, who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. Where did Othniel get all of his training from? From his father-in-law, from Caleb. I love it. I mean, what is Caleb really doing in Kiryat Sephir? He's busy raising up the next generation of leaders. He's discipling the next generation. 
Again, Caleb could have easily taken it by himself, but he let someone else have the opportunity. That's the key in discipleship. Letting people try things for the first time. Giving them opportunities to serve the Lord. Yeah, it may not always go the best way, but you're giving them opportunities. Giving them assignments to do. Now, it's interesting that Caleb's daughter, Aska, comes to him in verse 15 and asks his daddy for some land that has some water on it. Because the land that they have obviously was dry. It says, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her more than enough he gave her both the upper and the lower springs that we read. Now, I see this a picture of prayer. How we're to ask our Heavenly Father for what we need, acknowledging the blessings that He's already given to us. Lord, thank You for giving me this. Thank You for giving me that. Now, now Lord, it would be really cool if, if, if this would be needed. And, and, and just going to Him in prayer. It delights the Lord to answer our prayer, even exceedingly and abundantly above what we can ask or think. So this reminds us that possessions are found in God's providence. We're reminded that possessions come through faith. Possessions also come through prayer. See, many times we have not because we ask not. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7 and 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find it. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks find it. And him who knocks, it will be opened. So just going to the Lord and saying, Lord, you know, just, just asking Him and seeking the Lord. Nothing wrong with that at all. Now, verse 20, all the way verse 62, we have the legal description of the owners from the tribe of Judah and the land they would receive. Again, you're more than welcome to read it. I'm not going to. Look at verse 20. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. But I find it interesting, dropping down, look at verse 63. At the end of, of this list, there's this unfortunate piece of information. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwelt with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Though the, the tribe of Judah captured the city and set it on fire, according to Judges chapter 1, verse 8, the Jebusites were not driven out because they were, they were protected in the stronghold of Zion. This was a mighty fortress that seemed impenetrable. We're told, uh, even in the days of David, that it was a tough place to take over. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 6 and 7, it says this, And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who spoke to David, saying, You shall not come in here, but the blind and the lame will repel you, thinking David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David. I mean, it was such a stronghold that they're saying, listen, the blind and the lame could protect this. I mean, you're not getting through here. Just really seemingly invincible to the tribe of Judah. But not to David. Not to David. Why? For the same reason some are able to tear down spiritual strongholds in their lives, but others are not. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 and 4. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. If you war in the flesh, you fight in the flesh, you're, you're, you're not going to conquer the strongholds in, in your life. But if you war in the Spirit, you have victory. Putting on the full armor of God, using the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, you have victory. 
But if you war in the flesh, using your own wisdom, your own strength, your own ability, your own willpower, that, that stronghold remains. Children of, of Judah could not drive them out, but David could. The difference between the flesh and the spirit. Now, chapter 16, verse 1. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel. And here the first nine verses of chapter 16 describe the boundaries of the land inherited by the sons of Joseph who were the tribes of Manasseh and Ephraim. But then we come to verse 10 again and we see a defeat. Bad thing. Look at verse 10. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwelt among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. Now this area, the Canaanites who lived in Giza were not completely destroyed. The tribe of Ephraim made them slaves instead. Now why is that bad? Well, it's a direct contradiction to the commandment of God, a complete blindness to the warning of God. Remember, number, remember Numbers chapter 33 verse 55 says this, But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be that those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. They should have known. Oh, how deceived we are when we think that rather than completely obliterating sin in our life, that we can just keep it around, compromise a little bit, we got it under control. Jesus had some strong words about that in Matthew 5, verse 29 and 30. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you than to one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right eye causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, Jesus wasn't, you know, you know pushing amputation. What we're saying is take sin seriously. You can't compromise with sin. If you think you can keep sin under control in your life by keeping it around and keeping it under subjection, you're wrong. It's going to rear its ugly head up in your life and it's going to just bring you grief. And it may be painful to, utterly, to destroy it at the time, to, you know, but it must be done. I mean, the pain of removal is much less than the pain that, that sin will bring into your life. Finally, chapter 17, look at verse 1. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph. And then the first 13 verses describe Manasseh's inheritance. Again, you can read those. Then we come to verses 14 through 18. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. So Joshua answered them, if you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. But the children of Joseph said, The mountain country is not enough for us, and all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Shean and its towns, and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours, for you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So Manasseh, Ephraim, being sons of Joseph, they're complaining to Joshua. They're saying, it's not right, our lot's too small. 
You know, and, and, and true, I mean, there were, there, theirs were not the vast farming plains in the great cities and the lands that had been in the other tribes' portions, but it was still good land. But Joshua tells them, it's not too small. He says, you just have some work to do. And sometimes possessions come from hard work. Here the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim needed to clear the forest and drive out the Canaanites, but instead, you know, they, they put them under tribute. Basically, they were living in sin, not doing what God had commanded them to do, and instead they wanted someone else to do something about it. Namely, Joshua. Yeah, we don't want to deal with this anymore, so give us something else. Give us this. Uh, I'm just going to bail on what, what I, I'm supposed to do. I want to do something else. Listen, you can't expect to move forward if you've not taken care of what God has told you to take care of in the first place. You'll not be used mildly by God in your marriage, at your work, in your church. You know, if you're harboring sin in your life, if you're holding on to sin in your life, no matter where you look to be mildly used by God or what ministry you may try, what church you may hop to, it's not going to happen. And I'll tell you why the same answer Joshua gave. I love his reply. He says, although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and as far as it extends, you shall be yours. You shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. In other words, cut down the, the trees of sin in your life. And then you'll have good success. God will be able to use you and bless you to the farthest extent. Now we certainly know there's, there's different types of trees in our lives. Maybe it's a tree of, of not spending enough time in God's Word like you should. Or maybe it's a tree of pride or a tree of anger or not handling your finances the way you should. Maybe it's a tree of, of not loving your wife as you should or spending time with your kids. Maybe it's a tree of pornography. Whatever it is. We need to pray and ask the Lord to reveal any trees in our lives that may be holding us back and cut them down. Get rid of them. Anything that is keeping you from possessing all that God has for you, we need to get rid of. So as we close, remember, possessions are found in God's providence. It's all under God's care. Possessions come through faith. The secret of Caleb's life found in the phrase that was repeated six times in Scripture, he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Possessions come through prayer. Give me a blessing since you have given me the land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And we know as we pray that, that God will give us springs of living water. We have not because we ask not. And possessions come from hard work. Tear down the trees and get to work. Listen, God has some big things in store for us. But there might be some things in the way. And sometimes getting to those big things require diligent, hard work like chopping down trees and fighting enemies. I think we can get the idea that, that, we, we, that you know, if God is going to take, take care of all my needs, that I can just kick back and, and watch Gilligan's Island and, and expect a paycheck in my mailbox every week. And, and, and no. You know, I need to do something. I need to get out and get a job. We need to do, do our part making sure we keep ourselves in that place of being able to receive all that God has for us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time tonight. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples that we find in every area here this evening. Uh, Lord, your providence. Lord, you, you love us and you take care of us. We're under your care. Lord, the promises that come through faith. Lord, as Caleb wholly followed you, Lord God, help us to be men and women that don't hold anything back. Lord, in everything we do, we follow after you. Lord, help us to be men and women of prayer and recognize that blessings come, Lord, as we spend time on our knees. We have not because we ask not. And Lord, help us 
after we have prayed, Lord, to, to get up and move and, and continue to work for the kingdom, bringing glory to you in every opportunity that we have, Lord, seeking, Lord, to serve you in every way, knowing, Lord, that you've already given us victory over sin. You've already given us victory over the enemy. That was wrought upon the cross as you hung there on the cross and said, it is finished. And you died and you rose again as we celebrated this last uh, Sunday, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for the victory is ours. Now help us to walk in the possessions that you've given to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I'll stand and we'll do one last song together.